This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Vancouver's park board push hits a roadblock. This uh, is uh, not necessarily uh, the number one priority of the provincial government. Why abolishing the board might not be as simple as Mayor Sim thought. Controversy over the Surrey police budget. It's critically important to get the numbers out, to get the facts out. How numbers from the police board administrator differ wildly from what Mayor Brenda Locke has been saying. And another chance for the ban on public drug use. The province's plan to take back public parks from users. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us. The city of Vancouver is forging ahead with its plan to abolish the Vancouver Park Board. The mayor and city manager have now announced a new working group to guide the process, but it's not going to be easy. For more, let's bring in Alyssa Thibault, who's outside Vancouver City Hall for us tonight. Alyssa, who's in this group? Well, as you can imagine, Sophie, there are various city staffers involved, including two city councillors, Sarah Kirby-Young and Rebecca Bly. And there are also five members of the public who have experience with the park board. So park board commissioners, former park board commissioners, and also representatives from sporting groups such as soccer and diving. But uh, Mayor Ked Sim, he said this today, he said it again when he first announced these plans. He wants this done as soon as possible, but Premier David Eby doesn't feel the same way. Today, we continue to forge ahead into a new era for Vancouver's parks and recreation. Mayor Ken Sim announcing members of a new working group. Their job, to guide the process of dissolving the park board and bring it under control of City Council. The current system is broken and no amount of tweaking will fix it. The working group has been given six months, but to make the move official, the province needs to change the Vancouver Charter so that timeline could change. We are anticipating that this could be done in the spring session, but uh, again, that's a question for the province. David Eby, while speaking at an event on substance use, indicating he's in no rush. Well, the park board is front of mind, I know, for a handful of people in Vancouver. Uh, this uh, is uh, not necessarily uh, the number one priority of the provincial government of British Columbia. The Premier also spoke about requirements that need to be in place first. One of those key pieces is uh, Indigenous engagement, uh, the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh uh, involvement. Uh, and, uh, and I understand the City of Vancouver is working on those important details. To date, Musqueam Chief Wayne Sparrow has publicly stated his support for Sims' plan. But comments from both the Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations have been noticeably absent. We're in constant talk. So we, look, um, Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, they have been great partners on a whole host of issues. We have great working relationships and we're just going through a process. Slaywatooth telling Global News in a statement the nation does not have anything to say on this matter since discussions are still ongoing between leadership and the city of Vancouver. Squamish Nation declined to comment. For those against the move altogether, they say the fight isn't over. I think there are people who are looking at legal challenges towards this. Um, I'm not going to necessarily speak to that right now, but I know that some people are looking into that um, as, as a possible recourse for this. 
All right, Alyssa, you mentioned off the top, uh, many people know the park board, mainly for things like swimming lessons, ice skating, soccer, outdoor events, things like that. Any changes expected there? Well, the short answer is we don't know yet. The city manager was asked today about how this would impact the public. He said he's not in a position to provide those specifics, but both the mayor and the city manager say that they are adamant this will lead to more efficient operations of, uh, of park board facilities. But as you heard, there is still a bit of a way to go. Sophie? All right, we'll see what happens next. Alyssa Thibault reporting live at Vancouver City Hall. The dispute over policing in Surrey took another dramatic turn today when the police board administrator revealed what he calls the facts about the true cost of the transition. But as Janet Brown reports, his budget numbers are not even close to what the mayor is saying. I am sharing the Surrey Police Service provisional budget publicly because I believe that the public has the right to know what SPS requires in 2024. The budget released by Surrey Police Board Administrator Mike Sear was handed over to City Council at the end of November and now for the first time the public is getting a look at it. The budget is fully aligned with the City of Surrey's 2023 to 2027 financial plan. The city's total available funds for 2024 policing are $337 million. The SPS proposed budget is 142 million, 42% of available money. I believe this budget, along with its underlying assumptions, will give City Council confidence in the numbers associated with moving this transition forward. After trying to contact the mayor all morning for comment, we went to City Hall. Hi, Amy. Uh, you weren't responding to my texts or the mayor, so we came here to try and get the mayor. Why would nobody respond to me? She has your request and so she'll get back to you. However, the mayor was definitely in her office. Moments after we put in our request to speak with Locke, her office blinds were lowered. Three hours later, the mayor issued a statement giving us no opportunity to ask questions. The Solicitor General and Mr. Sear have stated the transition can go forward over the next three years without Surrey taxpayers being forced to pay more. To suggest such a thing is not only disingenuous, but reveals the continued lack of knowledge and due diligence by the NDP government. The transition is the law of the, uh, of the province, uh, and so, you know, there is a path forward here. Each and every day that we're sitting on the budget, it's costing the taxpayers money. With Surrey police officers already on the road. Sear says the transition will still take another 2.5 years. But the big questions now, will Surrey Council approve this budget? And if it doesn't, what happens then? Janet Brown, Global News. Well, the province is taking another crack at banning open drug use in public spaces. Its law was blocked by the courts in late December before it ever went into effect. Richard Zussman joins us live from Victoria now with the province's plan to appeal. Richard. There was a lot of pressure, Chris and Sophie, on the province to put in this law, and it's not a big surprise that they are now appealing the decision from the BC Supreme Court uh, that would uh, change the rules and continue to allow the use of drugs in places like parks. But we will see what ultimately the Court of Appeal decides. It's a final shot to ban drug use in parks, bus stops and in doorways. In order to maintain British Columbians' support for the idea 
that the criminal law is not the right way to deal with addiction, we also need to make sure that we're reassuring British Columbians that they don't have to give up their parks, they don't have to give up their bus stops. On Thursday, Premier David Eby explained the province's decision to appeal a BC Supreme Court injunction that blocked a new law banning drug use in public spaces. In December, BC Supreme Court Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson ruled the law will cause irreparable harm. All things being equal, the safety of the people who are on the street and using drugs is really where we have the biggest risk. The province focusing instead on the health side of the drug crisis, announcing Thursday a record expansion of treatment options, including 180 publicly funded recovery beds. Anybody out there struggling, there's a way out, there's help, put your hand up and ask for help. And sometimes it can take time, but it's worth it. Public concern about a perceived rise in vandalism and crime led to the B.C. government introducing these new rules. Mayors supporting the change and are hopeful the appeal will be successful. It is the right decision. I think it's certainly the smart political decision as well. I don't think the average British Columbian was pleased with the decision, even though I have enormous respect for Justice Hinkson. Chief Coroner Lisa LaPointe is worried. Restricting locations for drug use will drive users to alleys and to use alone. There is certainly a huge risk that pushing them further away out of sight is going to result in many more deaths. And I think we also have to appreciate we're in the midst of a public health emergency. These are not normal times. All right, Richard, this week, Oregon released plans to change course on its decriminalization rules. If a drug user is charged, those charges will be dropped if they agree to enter treatment. So is there any chance B.C. would consider this? It's something Premier Eby was asked about today, Chris. What the Premier said is that they are watching closely what other jurisdictions are doing. Alberta, California, Washington and Oregon are all dealing with toxic drug deaths. And if... It seems to work in Oregon. B.C. will see those numbers and say, well, we would consider the same thing if it proves to cut down on those toxic drug deaths. Willing to try just about anything at this point. All right, Richard, yep. thanks very much. And for more, let's bring in Keith Baldry now in Victoria. Keith, is it time for B.C. health officials to take over the handling of the drug crisis? That's exactly the question uh, retiring coroner Lisa LaPointe is asking, saying, has the time come to shift strategy here? Such as we saw in the at the height of the COVID pandemic, public health officials like Dr. Bonnie Henry and her colleagues, they're the ones who set the rules and called the shots here. Lisa LaPointe saying the time is for politicians to move over, because in her words, in yesterday's news conference, they're not being brave enough, and let the professional medical people and health people uh, start to set the rules and bring those death numbers down. We talked to her, you saw Richard talk to her in the library today as part of Focus BC. Here's what she had to say on that point. There is widespread recognition, including among law enforcement, uh, courts, crown prosecutors. This is a health issue. We haven't developed the health response to meet the needs of, in our province, 225,000 people using drugs. There's still also a great deal of stigma around drug use, and that's, that's difficult to change. So despite uh, Lisa LaPointe's comments and advocacy for changing to a system run by health officials rather than politicians, kind of hard to see that happen, guys. I don't know too many politicians here who would necessarily take that view because they know the government at the end of the day is going to be blamed for a lot of things that are the unforeseen circumstances that come with whether it's uh, decriminalization or other expansion of uh, existing drug policy. So I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. All right. Thanks for that, Keith.
The inquest into the deadly fire at a Gastown hotel in 2022 has heard from the building's manager who testified that budget concerns in part kept her from getting the sprinkler system reset after an earlier fire. Travis Prasad reports. The building manager testified to the jury for several hours on Thursday, at times fighting back tears as she remembered Dennis Gay and Marianne Garlow, Winter's Hotel residents she described as friendly people. Gina Vandenberg said 53-year-old Gay would talk to her for an hour at a time. He loved music and playing chess and cared a lot about his family. 68-year-old Garlow would check in on Vandenberg regularly, like two friends just catching up. It's taken quite a toll on me. I felt very close to the two people who passed away. It's been quite difficult. It's a big loss. Vandenberg also recounting a smaller fire in the Winters Hotel on Friday, April 8, 2022, three days before the blaze that destroyed the building. The sprinklers went off, but a Vancouver fire captain previously testified he did not hear an alarm. Vandenberg says she did not call the approved contractor, Royal City Fire Supplies, to reset the alarm and sprinklers because she believed they wouldn't get back to her till Monday. When asked how she knew that, she replied, that's just the way it went. You call Royal City after hours, it goes to the relay centre, someone gets back to you on Monday and arranges a time to come out then. Vandenberg would call Royal City the morning of Monday, April 11th to schedule a service appointment for later that day but an unattended candle would spark the deadly fire before the alarm and sprinklers could be reset. Global News reached Royal City Fire Supplies by phone on Thursday. The company confirms it does respond to calls on the weekend. The work, though, is done at a premium, about one and a half times the weekday rate. Vandenberg testified her employer, Atira Property Management, had a clear directive not to use services that charge overtime. The only talk of budget we ever had was try to stay within the budget. Don't call after hours. That was the regular procedure. The nine-day inquest will hear from 16 more witnesses, wrapping up on February 1st. Travis Prasad, Global News. Monday's tragic heliskiing accident, which left three dead and four injured, has prompted calls for better government regulations. But operators say they already go above and beyond what's required. Cassidy Moscone has more, including the latest on the difficult recovery operation. The mission to recover three bodies from the top of a terrace mountain has ended its fourth day. The mountain weather is, is very fickle. We're talking about winter conditions with snow and avalanches. Uh, things can change quickly. Temperature changes, precipitation type changes, wind speed direction, sun. Freezing rain and harsh winter weather hindering search and rescue crews efforts who want to bring the victims identified as international travellers home. We're shocked and uh, really saddened by it. It's very rare. I mean, our, our data is we've only had four other fatal helicopter crashes in the 60 years that the industry's been around. Heli skiing is highly regulated, but industry heavyweights want federal mandates to go further. Our members have found it uh, beneficial to go above and beyond the standards as, as regulated by Transport Canada. Um, we've been doing this for, for a number of, of years, I would say decades going above and beyond. We still expect the, the federal government to, to catch up to industry at some point in time. We're hearing now maybe two to five years they'll have these, these regulations in play. 
Transport Canada didn't get back to us by our deadline and the Transportation Safety Board declined our request to comment. Its investigation into Monday's tragedy will likely take many weeks, even months. As for the survivors, Global News received an update from one of the Italian skier's family members. He writes, Emilio was found conscious and was able to state his generalities. He's able to move his fingers and toes. Legs, hip and ribs are broken. He suffered an injury also on his upper spine. We hope for the best. This should not be viewed as a, as a black mark on on the helicopter industry in Canada. I, I think the Canadian public and, and uh, stakeholders in our industry can rest assured we, we are one of the safest modes of, of air transport in Canada. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. If it feels like it's been raining a lot on the south coast, you are right. And now we have a flood watch issued for this region. We'll bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for all the details now. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, this was just issued this afternoon. And as you well said, uh, we've had several systems already. The ground is saturated. And right now, the forecast is showing as far as we can see uh, moisture with several systems. We've got two basic systems, one Friday, Saturday, one Friday, one Saturday, and then two atmospheric rivers beyond that that's set to push across the south coast. Now, this is not like what we saw back in 2021. And when I come back, I'll explain to you why. But the BC River Forecast Center says that we could see some rivers reach a one in 10-year event. Chris, back to you. All right, we'll check in a little later too, Christy. Thanks. A real estate deal that feels like robbery. Street side developments has the gumption and the audacity to walk away with my money. How an unexpected change of plans for a hopeful buyer led him to lose not only a brand new townhome, but his $80,000 deposit too. Why he feels double-crossed next on the News Hour. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Gregor Hall marches into retirement, sharing some of the highlights of his 50-year career with the Delta Police Pipe Band. That's still to come. And new guidelines for children's play and why it's not just okay if they face some danger, it's encouraged. That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, a Surrey man is sharing a story that serves as a warning for anyone buying a pre-sale condo or townhouse. That's right. He put down an $82,000 deposit but ended up losing it all. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the buyer accuses the developer of acting in bad faith. Uh, saw it being built from the ground up. And this is about as close as Sudip Segal will ever get to the home he tried to buy. I'm on a mission to expose them. The recent immigrant to Canada was excited to get into the real estate market with this Surrey townhome. 
The presale deposit of nearly $82,000 paid for through savings and a loan from his father. Financing the remainder would depend on selling property in India. The government of India unfortunately imposed some restrictions uh, which made the sale of my property impossible. With no way to complete the sale, Seagal believed his next best option was to assign his contract to a new buyer. But in order to do that, he needed permission from the developer. Despite a clause in the contract that states the developer shall not withhold consent unreasonably, Streetside said no. The company, Streetside Developments, declined our request for an interview, saying this is a private legal matter. But they did send Global News a statement which reads in part, Streetside Developments BC is governed by the Real Estate Development Marketing Act of British Columbia and develops contracts that adhere and comply with real estate law in the province. Pre-sale contracts, they're usually drafted by developers and their lawyers, so they are quite developer-friendly. Real estate lawyers say potential buyers need to read the fine print before they commit. Most pre-sale contracts will allow developers multiple rights to back out of the contract and just return the buyer's deposit, uh, but buyers often don't have very many rights to back out. A downturn in the economy and higher interest rates are making it difficult for people to qualify for mortgages. Experts are warning pre-sale buyers need to be vigilant. Whenever you go to make a pre-sale purchase, you can't just look at your financial picture today. You have to plan for the worst case scenario. Seagal hired a lawyer to write a letter to Streetside, desperate to get his family's life savings back. But to take the developer to court is something he can't afford either. I have been ruined. My mom and dad have been ruined. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The BC Real Estate Association is projecting the province's housing market is about to rebound. Home sales in BC are expected to increase nearly 8% this year after experiencing a lull in 2023. The association says anticipated interest rate cuts, stabilized inflation, and a softening in economic growth means they are optimistic, adding rate cuts will encourage more potential homeowners to enter the market. Coming up, a major break in a Surrey murder. This was a two-year-long investigation in which we utilized every tool at our disposal. How local law enforcement tracked down the alleged killer. Plus, he's running from the police. A wild police chase caught on camera in Coquitlam. The integrated homicide investigation team has made an arrest in a deadly gang-related shooting. It happened on the night of February 8th, 2022 in Surrey. And as Kristen Robinson reports, a key break in the case happened when kids at a nearby elementary school found the gun. Nearly two years after the victims of a double shooting were found inside a car outside a gas station in Surrey's Fraser Heights, charges have been laid. 25-year-old Yusuf Kantos was arrested in Richmond Hill, Ontario, Tuesday. He's accused of first-degree murder in the homicide of 24-year-old Juvraj Jabal and the attempted murder of 20-year-old Jasmine Lindstrom. This was a two-year-long investigation in which we utilized every tool at our disposal to, to investigate and to locate Kantos. Homicide investigators and Surrey RCMP had some help from a child who found a handgun two days after the shooting on the grounds of Bothwell Elementary while looking for twigs for a school project. What if it was loaded and the ch uh, children were playing with it? Then there'd be another shooting. It terrifies me that a child was in contact with that firearm. 
The integrated homicide investigation team says a proper search was done at the time. Yeah, we certainly did. It was a large area. That firearm was found, yes, in the general area, but uh, at that point, we didn't know which way the suspect had fled. After the February 2022 shooting, IHIT told Global News the school was on the outer perimeter of the ground search areas and teams had not reached it by the time the gun was discovered by a student. And this is one of the reasons that we asked the public to come forward and speak to us. If anyone who did see that suspect running away, we could have got ahead of that. We could have found that firearm before uh, a child did. As to whether the student's firearm find helped solve the crime... Certainly any evidence that we could collect would help us further our investigation. Contos was believed to be staying in Delta at the time of the shootings. Police say he is known to them and involved in ongoing criminality, but he has no criminal record in B.C. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And IHIT is identifying the victim of a Tuesday night shooting outside a Burnaby restaurant. Police say 25-year-old Johnson Viet An Do died at the scene after being shot several times in what appeared to be a targeted shooting. It happened at about 10.30 Tuesday night outside a Vietnamese restaurant on Kingsway. Investigators are asking people to be on the lookout for a silver 2010 Buick Enclave identified as a suspect vehicle. We're releasing Mr. Doe's name in hopes that those out there who had recent contact with him will reach out to us and help us develop a timeline of Mr. Doe's activity leading up to the shooting. Anyone who witnessed the shooting or has dash cam footage is asked to contact IHIT. One man was taken into custody and two police officers were hurt in a brief but wild chase through Coquitlam Wednesday night. This guy here, this guy here, is running from the police. Just after 10.30 p.m., Coquitlam RCMP responded to reports of an impaired driver near Whiting Way and Cottonwood Avenue. When officers arrived, the suspect rammed his pickup truck into two police cars, leaving two officers with minor injuries. The truck then reversed down an alley at high speed, hitting two other parked cars. At that point, the driver was taken into custody. I heard a car smash into another car, a little bit of yelling, and when I stood up I saw that white truck there smashing into cars that were parked just behind me there. Um, the police officers exited the vehicle, and that's when I went and grabbed my phone because I seriously thought they were going to shoot the guy. Uh, they were outside of their vehicles, he was smashing into cars. Um, then he broke through the police vehicles and backed down this alley. If you witnessed the incident or have any dash cam footage from that time, contact Coquitlam RCMP. Coming up, making waves on the VPD Marine Unit. They actively tried to rescind my captain's ticket. What this former VPD officer says about bullying and harassment on the job and how it was investigated. Also coming up, danger play. Why experts say it's okay for your kids to put themselves at risk. A former Vancouver police officer has come forward supporting the six officers launching a proposed class action lawsuit against municipal forces in the province. The suit alleges discrimination and harassment based on gender, something Tammy Hamill claims she faced when she tried to join a specialized unit of the VPD. Catherine Urquhart reports. I stand with pride absolutely in the, in the service and in you know the police work that I have actually had been able to do. For 32 years, Tammy Hamill was a constable with the Vancouver Police Department. 
During some of those years, she trained other officers in the use of force and tasers. You can minimize risk to a subject um, by presenting the taser. You may not have to pull the trigger. A recognition of exemplary service after 30 years. It was a job she loved until joining the Marine Unit, where she says she faced harassment and career sabotage. The 55-year-old says she spent her own money and time acquiring her 60-ton captain's ticket from Transport Canada, which would allow her to be senior acting sergeant and extend her tenure. But when fellow officers found out, they tried to have it removed. And they actively tried to rescind my captain's ticket until Transport Canada said uh, she has met all the requirements we've asked of her and um, we are not going to rescind this ticket based on your personal opinion. Emails obtained by Hamill through Freedom of Information confirm her colleagues tried to have her captain's ticket removed. During it all, Hamill filed a formal complaint and an investigation followed. During that time, she found a dead rat inside a box left in her front yard. The message behind a dead rat is um, to watch my step. It's um, to know that we're watching you. The final investigative report into Hamill's complaint stated, serious concerns were expressed about Constable Hamill's vessel operating abilities and that she had obtained certification from Transport Canada via a path not sanctioned by VPD Marine Unit. The uh, allegations were unsubstantiated by the independent investigator and our discipline authority who reviewed the findings of the independent investigation and they concluded that the allegations were unsubstantiated. Hamill believes the system was rigged against her and noted this Transport Canada email describes her boat riding and maneuvering skills to be very professional. She says she's speaking out now to support a proposed class action lawsuit underway by six women police officers for discrimination and harassment based on gender. We need this to change and we and I'm supporting those women. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, new guidance from the Canadian Pediatric Association is encouraging parents to allow some risk in their children's playtime. The association says unstructured outdoor play and what's known as risky play in particular are crucial for children's social, mental and physical development. Risky play can include climbing activities like tree climbing, high speed activities including biking and sledding, rough and tumble play like wrestling and play that can involve the risk of getting lost. Now, the organization adds children should still be supervised in hazardous areas and not pushed beyond their comfort level. And, of course, mandatory safety gear like helmets should also always be worn. Just ahead, a call for change echoes through the forest. A UBC researcher studying clear-cut logging says he has compelling evidence the practice should be stopped immediately. And coming up in sports, the Whitecaps make an offer that's as good as gold. How long their best player is sticking around. Climate change has taken a lot of the blame for flooding in recent years. But a UBC report claims much of the problem has been caused by our logging practices, particularly clear-cutting. Paul Johnson explains. When catastrophic floods hit interior towns like Grand Forks in 2018 and then Merritt in 2021, it triggered the curiosity of a UBC forestry professor. I specialize in the effect of logging on floods and flood risk. 
So along with a grad student, Eunice Alila set out to examine the existing science on the connection between clear-cut logging and flood risk. According to him, much of what we've previously thought about that is wrong. Both the science literature and as a consequence professional practice and therefore policy and regulation associated with uh, forest management are misguided. Alila's work was recently published in the journal Science of the Total Environment, but for others it didn't take a scholarly article to come to the same conclusion. This mirrors very much what I have seen on the ground over the past 50 years as an outdoors person. Last summer, BC United MLA Mike Morris took us to this massive clear-cut north of Prince George to show us what he thought was extreme damage to the capacity of the soil to handle water. He says Alila's work should be a wake-up call in Victoria. Then the BC government is responsible for the frequency and magnitude of flooding that we see in the province. We reached out to the BC government, but didn't hear back in time for this report. The Council of Forest Industries did respond, though, and said, while they haven't read the paper, the industry as a whole is moving toward more landscape-level planning for forest health. As for Alila, he believes his findings ought to trigger a paradigm shift in logging policy. I think we need to abandon clear-cut logging in favor of these eco ecosystem friendly logging practices such as selective tree logging, small patch cutting, strip cutting. At UBC, Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, time to bring in Christy Gordon now. Uh, now, Christy, this time last night, Chris and I discussed with you how we were done with the rain. We're, <laughs> yeah, we've had enough yeah, now. I wasn't mm -hmm. able to order it up for you. <laughs> no, Sorry, guys. In fact, it might even be worse that. now. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Just coming out of Paul's uh, story there, talking about those clear cuts, it's clear cuts like that and the potential for these atmospheric rivers that we could see that cause those problems. And we uh, likely, as climate change continues, we'll see these atmospheric rivers become more intense and more often. So again, we talked about this as a flood watch in effect for all of the South Coast. Why? Because we're going to see a number of systems move across the region. So one on Friday, one on Saturday, and then two atmospheric rivers after that. The atmospheric rivers are not going to be super Super intense. I to told you that it's not going to be like what we saw in 2021. These atmospheric rivers are mostly beneficial, but also hazardous. Thus, the um, BC River Forecast Centre putting out that uh, concern. But it's not just the atmospheric rivers. It's the fact that we're going to see a prolonged period of rainfall. So from Saturday through middle part of next week, we're talking about 200 to 300 millimetres of rain, with the potential for some very small isolated areas reaching 400 millimetres of rain. And it comes with that surge in heat, 14 degrees potentially on Sunday. Freezing levels climb, we get snow melt with that, and that comes down the tributaries and streams and adds to that moisture. Just using Capilano River as an example, the peak of the rivers at this point look like Monday and then another surge into sort of Wednesday, Thursday. Those are the two peaks that we're watching. And again, BC River Forecast Center says that their majority of the rivers will see a two to five year event, but there could 
could be some isolated ones reaching a 10-year event. But again, it's that low-lying areas that are also a concern when it comes to uh, these type of events because we are going to see substantial runoff. The ground is so saturated right now. So we'll be watching this very closely in the days to come. There's a look at your uh, five-day forecast. Yes, Sophie and Chris, I was not able to order it up for you. But how about this? A little bit of blue sky. This is looking out from Haida Gwaii. Carolyn Galt sharing that with us for today. That looks better. <laughs> Thanks, mm -hmm. Christy. From Carolyn Galt, we go to talking about Ryan Gold, who is one of the Whitecaps' best players, if not the best. He's their best player. He's one of the best players in Major League Soccer. And despite the weather, he loves Vancouver. <laughs> so he was very glad that today, even though the Whitecaps are over in Spain, where it's much nicer, he's glad to be staying in Vancouver. He signed a new contract through the 2027 season. We'll talk about that. Also tonight... They asked me if I played an instrument because they said they were starting a pipe bomb. I said no, but I'm willing to learn. The best decision Gregor Hall ever made more than 50 years later, how the music has taken him around the world. Discussing delicious servings of, of tea and haggis. Haggis, well, it's the day for it, Squire. Mm -hmm. I understand that. I've never tried haggis. Really? You're missing out. I'm sure it's great. You have to try it once. Well, we'll get around to it one day. <laughs> the uh, Whitecaps celebrated Robbie Burns Day today by giving a bunch of money to their favorite Scotsman. Ryan Gold signed a contract extension that will carry him through the 2027 season. It makes him the highest paid Whitecap of all time. We aren't sure what he's making, but it's definitely going to be a raise in the $2.5 a year he made on his current deal. And for Ryan Gold, this is what he wanted. Him and his girlfriend, Kat Hutchinson, have fallen in love with living in Vancouver. Um, you know, we've been made to feel at home ever since arriving. And we've both had a great couple of years there. Um, both really enjoyed, um, like I said, living there. And, and, yeah, just to be part of a place that we're made to feel so welcome and to feel at home, um, it was kind of a no-brainer to to sign on again. And from a Whitecap standpoint, it was a no-brainer as well. This was a signing they had to make. Not just because Gold is their best player, but because he's also the face of the franchise. And keeping Ryan Gold is a good selling point for possible future Whitecaps. If we, if we marketing our team to, to other players to say, look, we have this group together. He was uh, one of the best players of MLS. We will keep him in long term. We have a few other key players that, that have long-term contracts. And if you join this group, you don't have to be worried that, that everything will look different in six months or one year. So now that Gold has established himself as one of the best in MLS, his next goal is to drag the Whitecaps to that level as well. I mean, you guys know I'm never one to look for the individual kind of stuff. Um, I'll be looking ahead to what I can do to, to try and help this team and push us on to be um, as successful as we can. Okay, there is no doubt Quinn Hughes is the Canucks' number one defenseman. Maybe, maybe the number one defenseman in the world right now. But if he's Batman, then Philip Hronik makes a pretty good Robin. He was brought in to take a bit of the load off Hughes, and he's not only done that, he has meshed perfectly with Quinn Hughes. He's solid defensively. He can put up some points as well. It's yet another acquisition from the year 2023 that's worked out pretty well for the Canucks. By McCabe is stopped. Hronik on the rebound. Scores! Phil Hronik 
coasted in. When the Canucks surrendered a first and second round pick to the Red Wings for Philip Hironik late last year, many thought that was a steep price to pay for a guy who had pretty good numbers, but on a rebuilding Detroit team. Was he really the legitimate top pairing defenseman the Canucks figured he could be? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. Paired right away with Quinn Hughes, Hironik has been the perfect complement to the Canucks captain. Both have taken their level up a notch or two. I knew he was a really good player. I mean, I knew he had um, you know, a heavy shot and could skate, but I don't think I realized how good of a puck mover he was and how fluid he is as a skater. So it's been uh, a treat to play with for sure. Hironik and Hughes have also been magical at the opponent's blue line, keeping possession amongst themselves to create numerous scoring chances. We share the puck with each other a lot, so I'm, I'm getting you know three or four more touches a game and more shots on that and more chances, and same with him. Hironik is putting up career numbers. He's second in the league behind Hughes with a plus 34 rating. His 33 assists are fifth most among NHL defensemen, and he's on pace for 60 points, which would shatter his previous season high of 39 set last year. We figure he's proud of his season. We'll just have to assume that's the case. If you guys all do interviews, Phil Ronick won't do interviews. I'm sure he's done some, right? <laughs> no, uh, he said no. He's, uh, no. Yes, he, he's quite, he likes to play. Yeah. Phil Ronick, man of few words, blew us off. Is that surprising? No, no, that's his MO, is uh, a man of few words. So, uh, not surprised, not surprised. Uh, more of a guy that lets his actions speak, so... Great guy, though. That's Phil. Take it or leave it. <laughs> okay, so last night after the uh, Canucks 4-3 overtime loss to St. Louis, Rick Tockett said he hasn't liked Elias Pettersson's game the last few outings and he needs to play faster. But on social media, after that comment, fans took that as maybe Tockett going after Pettersson, which Tockett says today was not the case and there is no issue between them. It's not Tockett has a problem with Pettersson. It's, you asked me a question, who was good or was bad? It's, you know, over the internet, talking blast at, at Pedersen. So I don't know how I blasted him. I just said he had a tough night. Uh, we talked about Ryan Gold being signed through the 2027 season with the Whitecaps. Bev Priestman has been signed through the 2027 World Cup to continue being Canada's coach for our national women's team. Oh, and the Atlanta Falcons hired Raheem Morris as their new head coach. A lot of people thought they would hire Bill Belichick because he had two interviews with them, but that wasn't the case. Bill Belichick is running out of chairs in this off-season musical chairs for a new coach game, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, still, still anyway, on the sidelines. Still on the sidelines, Bill. I'm maintaining coach watch. Mm -hmm. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> coach watch. <laughs> and back to the Ryan Gold thing, because we're going to stick with the Robbie Burns theme. We'll meet the man behind the big bass drum of the Delta Police Pipe Band. You could say over the past 50 years, he's killed it. Oh my. This weekend will mark the end of an era for the Delta Police Pipe Band. After 50 years of keeping the beat with his big bass drum, Gregor Hall is retiring. He's had a world of experience sharing the stage with music royalty and performing for actual royalty. Jay Durant has his story on This Is BC.
Gregor Hall didn't have much interest in music until it came up in a job interview with Delta Police in 1973. They asked me if I played an instrument. I said no, but I'm willing to learn. So here we are, 50 oddly years later. <laughs> He's been the heart and soul for half a century, watching colleagues come and go over the years. Sometimes you take for granted, uh, you know, when someone's always there and always does a great job, you don't have to think about them, you don't have to worry about them. Gregor's mastered his craft. That bass drum beating out at every stop along the way. Performances that have taken him to many parts of the world. We've been to uh, Holland twice, we've been to Switzerland twice. The band played in Germany and they've just come back from Belfast. Playing in front of British royalty. I played three times in front of the Queen, Prince Charles and uh, Princess Diana when they opened Expo. And alongside rock royalty. I've played on stage with Paul McCartney twice. It was over two nights. And the other bass drummer played the first night. He's a big burly guy with a beard. I played the second night. And Paul said to me, he says, you've sure changed since last night. <laughs> He's a very nice sort of person. Very enjoyable playing with him. Now in his final days with the band, Gregor will say farewell after this weekend's Robbie Burns supper. He's been my mentor and uh, I'm going to miss him tremendously. It will take a bit of time getting used to a quieter life. Take, to take things easy to start with. After so many years traveling to practice and touring with friends. So I'll miss the camaraderie. I think it's time. My, my shoulder's starting to give me trouble, so it's time. Jay Durant, Global News. Have a good retirement. You have earned it. Mm -hmm. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. What a perfect day, Robbie Burns Day, to say farewell to Gregor. Well done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, last word on weather here before we go, and the rain just keeps coming. Yeah, less than perfect day when it comes to weather, that's for sure. It just keeps on coming. So we've got two systems, one Friday late in the, later in the day, one Saturday, and then the atmospheric rivers would be sort of Sunday into Monday and then Tuesday into Wednesday. Uh, this is going to be a substantial event, so definitely be aware if you've got low-lying areas that uh, localized flooding at least could happen. So be uh, staying tuned over the next little while. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Happy Robbie Burns Day, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all.